Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. The scripture reading is from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's households to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phoebe. Good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We have been doing a series looking at mission And today, we're going to do a deeper dive in that. The word mission, for most of us in New York, it's found in almost every corporate culture now. There's mission statements everywhere. Everybody is being asked, why do you exist? What are you really about? And the word mission actually comes, the Latin root means to be sent. So we have to ask, what does it mean to be on mission? It means to see yourself as being sent to someone or somewhere. And here the, pro- the problem I think we have, sadly, is that most Christians and non-Christians in this world do not feel sent to anywhere or to anyone. And I think that's one of the, part of the root of the issue where so many of us feel kind of rudderless and adrift and, you know, um, not able to kind of understand what we're about. And so what I want to do today, if I can be so bold, I want to ask one of the biggest questions that we're asking these, these days, which is this, like, what am I about? What's the point? Why am I here? What should I do? This is at the root of a lot of the angst that we have. And I think the call, what I'd like us to try to figure out today is somehow to see, as Noel talked about earlier, how we might be able to activate the idea that all work, paid and unpaid, whether it's being a mom or being a citizen of the city uh, or at your work or picking up trash, whatever it might be, that we will see all work as us being on mission 
to somewhere or, or someone to fix and renew the images of God around us and the creation itself. Now, that's a nice fancy word. You should be like, oh, that's nice, my great, great idea, but what does that actually mean? So what? That's a nice phrase, but how do we get into it? I think Genesis 12, this text, gives us the paradigm in three parts. So let's do this. Let's look at the call in. Let's look at the challenges around. And let's look at the catalyst to be sent out. I'll, I'll say it again. The call in, the challenges around, but then the catalyst to actually go out. So first, the call in. Growing up in a small apartment in New York City, um, I got into the habit of when I wanted something, I would call to my mom. I would say, Mom! And she's in like some other part of the, of the uh, you know, apartment. She would come. As a, 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 and now, as a father, I get that, and I now know how it feels, and it's not great. Um, and what's interesting is I only ever thought, oh, mom's coming to me. But I, what you need to realize, whenever you're being called to something, you're always also being called away from something. When I called my mom to me, she was being called away to something probably that she was more important than she needed to do. This is important for us to see that a call to any place is also a call away simultaneously from somewhere else. And that's what we see with Abram too. This is Genesis 12. Genesis 1, all things are made good. Genesis 3, everything becomes fallen. There's brokenness that, that enters the world. And then Genesis 4 through 11, we have these different cycles of the world getting worse and God trying to deal with it. And you have the flood and you have, Bab- you have um, the Tower of Babel. And the question the Bible is asking is, is what's going to fix things? How is this going to work? And by Genesis 12, we finally see God say, I'm going to with Abram, who becomes Abraham, I'm going to have a people that I'm with. And it starts with him. But look how it's set up. Look at verse 1. God says go. And the first thing we see in verse 1 is you're being, you're, go from three things. From your country, your people, and your father's household. And this is actually a groundbreaking thing for an ancient Near East person to hear this. To be called from your country, your people, and your father's household. This is, that's the essence of who you are. Your con- the country, the land, it was your economic engine. It was uh, how you made your money, whether it was livestock or through farming. The land really mattered. It was your land. And then your, um, your people is your culture. It's your friends. It's, it's the relationships that you grew up with. It's everything you've ever known. And then your father's household. This was your core identity. Your job, back then, you had one main job, and that was to produce offspring, to produce kids so that you would be able to keep the legacy of the family, to keep it going. That was what you were called to do. And God says to him, in every single aspect of his identity, go. Leave all you ever wanted. Leave all that you've ever wished for. Leave all that you have ever hoped in. Leave that identity. And to leave your land and to leave your family and to leave your, your people, in some ways you're leaving every concept that you might have had about your past, about the present, and what you're in the future, and what your future would look like. And so it's, it's hard to underemphasize how big of a deal that this was, that God was saying, leave. That's the first aspect of going anywhere, is you have to leave from. Now, where is he going to? Look at, back at our text, verse 1. It says, to a land I will show you, a.k.a., hey, God, where are we going? I'll tell you later. That's what's actually happening. Hey, hey, what's going to happen? Just start walking. Just start going. 
and I'll show you later. And so what sounds, this is actually, it, if this sounds crazy to you, that this is what, that God could possibly ask this of you, realize this, you right now are living in the most transient culture that's ever existed in history. That where it's easier for us to be able to move up and just go somewhere else than anywhere else. And this yet was being spoken to a, a, a person in a time frame where 99.9% of people lived and died within 10 years, sorry, within 10 miles of, of where they grew up. And so the only thing crazier than what's being asked, I think, is the response. Look at verse 4. Three words. The first three words. So Abram went. That's amazing. So he went. And so here's the question I want to ask yourself. Uh, ask us. Abram was called, and he becomes the first of God's people. If you go to Galatians, Paul makes the connection that actually Christians are all inside the line of Abram. As we're descendants of Abram, we're, we're called as his people, and therefore, we are supposed to see ourselves as called as well. Do you, this morning, do you regularly see yourself as called to a place, called to a people, called to who you are and what you're doing? Do you actually go on mission? Do you, go, do you leave some things? Do you, see, do you feel yourself in the loss of some things to be able to go to other things? He was sent. What are the things that you right now are being called to give up? Have you thought about that? Because it's not just, by the way, it's not like a one-off thing. He had, he, the rest of his life, he's regularly thinking about this. All of us would. Now, if this all sounds scary, let me give you a little bit of help. In between the call in verse 1 and he went in verse uh, uh, 4, something happens in between. Something happens in between that allows him to actually go. And I'll, I'll just say it, it's, it's blessing. Look at verses 2 and 3. It's blessing. Now, unfortunately, that word blessing in English, the, I looked it up. Like, where is the most, where do we mostly use that word blessing? It's usually when we sneeze. Seriously, we, most people, the dialect in, in you know, common parlance in New York, it's, you know, bless you. It's, it's trite. But in Hebrew, the word blessing means so much more. It means profound well-being. It means shalom, which is a Hebrew word for everything put back in balance, everything put right. It means wholeness. It's really, I guess, it's actually the thing that you and I are actually seeking all of our lives without actually knowing. We're hoping for just some level, some semblance of normalcy and contentment. And Abram's given six particular blessings and promises here. Let's go through them quickly. One, he's, being, he's told, I'll give you land. Two, I'll give you a nation. Three, I will bless you. That's a blessing, a, a promise. I'll make your name great. That's another promise. Four, I will bless those who bless you. Five, and all people will be blessed through you. So God's basically saying to him, hey, you don't have a legacy? I'll give you a legacy. You don't have a name? I'll give you a name. You don't have a son? I'll give you a son. I'll give you a people. In fact, for, this, for an ancient Near East man, put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. You're being told that everyone in earth is going to be blessed through you. There is no blessing. There's no promise that's greater than this. So ask yourself. You might be called to somewhere or someone or something. But have you listened to the blessings? Have you, have, are you able to see the promises to be able to get there? Are you relying on them? Have you listened to them? And then the question is, is, will you go? All right? Will you go? That's the call. Now, secondly, 
there are challenges to this call. Let me list three quickly. Three challenges. When you leave, what you leave, I'll say it this way. What you leave is in the present, and what you're going to be given is still to come. What you leave is in the present, what you're going to be given is actually still to come. Notice God calls Abram to this mission. Doesn't tell him the entire plan, though, does he? He doesn't say how it's going to go, where he's going to go, when, you know, what's going to happen when he gets there, why he's actually going. He's not told any of these things. And this is actually important for us, that God is on this plan. We start seeing in Genesis 3, as soon as there's brokenness, we start seeing a plan of, of redemption. It doesn't get to f- fulfilled until Revelation, but God is saying, I'm going to fix and remake and renew the world, and I'm going to use you, but I'm not going to necessarily tell you precisely what that's going to look like, the ups and downs, the left and rights. I'm not going to necessarily, and you're not going to necessarily know what that's going to look like and why and how and when. And I think that's the challenge. The challenge is to, is to remember each day might not, in any, in any particular day, it might not actually reflect. We, we're definitely not going to feel the promises at all times. In fact, uh, the hardships of life are, are going to be real. And it, it doesn't mean, though, just because of that, doesn't mean it's not actually happening. When I do weddings, um, it's always kind of nice. Uh, the, the, the couple eventually gets up front and uh, says vows. And the vows that they say, they say at some level it's till death do us part. And it's a, when you're saying a vow, you're actually making a promise to each other. But what's interesting about a promise is on that wedding day, there's no way that they can be sure that that's actually going to happen till death do us part. The only way that that promise actually becomes true, to prove it's true, is actually over a lifetime together, which is going to take a lot of knocks. It's going to be a lot of ups and downs. But interestingly, it's when you get to the end, through the knocks, through the hardships, the promise becomes sweeter because it actually gets fulfilled. But in the moment when you first say it, 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 the, the substance of it is not there. The promise only becomes powerful. It only becomes sweet. It only becomes beautiful after, in the future. It's only later that you can look back and see that. So a call to go means leaving what culture says matters. Culture says affirmation that you can see tangibly with money and power and acclaim and approval and comfort. A call means to leave those things, but it also means call too to rest in promises that you can't quite conceive or see, and they're ethereal, and they're in the future. And that is hard. That is difficult. I'm going to be honest. Because what you're called is, to, is now, and what you're given is in the future. The challenge is to regularly remind ourselves of that. Now that's the first challenge. second challenge is waiting's hard. Go to verse 4. When does this call come to Abram? Most people pass over it quickly. He's 75. He's 75 years old. And you're allowed to smile about that a little bit. There's two sides to this. The good news, if he's 75 and the call comes, that means for everybody in this room, if you feel like you've had a failure to launch, if you feel like you, you haven't really done anything, if you feel like you haven't lived a life of mission, it's never too late. That, that, that's very encouraging to me. That, like, I might thought I've lived on mission, and then like 10 years later, I'm like, oh, okay. I actually was living for myself. You know, you can always start today, so to speak, because he's 75, and yet he's being sent out. God calls us at every stage of life. 
At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. On the other side of it, if God calls at 75, that means his timing is not always going to be on our timing. Right? Moses wasn't called until he was in his 80s. Um, go back to this text. Abram, when he's called at 75, he's given a promise of a child. You know when that, when that child actually comes? When he's 100. 25 years later. So he's made a promise. It's good. You're in. Great. When's it going to come? He's not told. Do you think he doubted in between? Of course he did. In fact, if you read about Abram's life, over and over again, you can see the doubts being worked out and how he lied and how he fibbed and how he shaded things. But just because he doubted, this is what's important. See, a lot of people get the confusion. They think faith is the absence of doubts. No, that's not what you see here. Faith is in the presence of doubts to still trust God in those promises. I was teaching uh, LSQ membership just yesterday, and, and um, this topic sort of came up in conversation. We were talking about how God fixes things and he redeems all things, but this, guess what? Then your dad dies. Then you lose your job. Then the money doesn't come in. Then the hurt, the hardship, the relationship doesn't work out. The uh, kids are difficult. Every present circumstance makes it difficult to see that future renewal that's coming. But that doesn't mean it's not coming. It doesn't mean it's not coming. No, that's challenge two. Now, challenge three. If you've gone, if you haven't gone, if you feel like you haven't really gone, you felt sent, it's possible that you might not actually have met him to be sent. And this is a hard thing to say. But if you don't see your life through this lens, a, a calling of a life of being called out to be sent out, to feel sent out, to know that, it's possible you might not have actually met the God who's doing that, who's asked that of you. When Moses meets God, right in the burning bush, what happens right after that? He says, go lead my people. When Jesus meets Peter, what happens? I'm now going to make you fishers of men. When Isaiah, Jonah, David, every person that meets God in the Bible eventually gets sent out. See, yes, they're called in, but they're also sent out. If you don't feel sent out right now, it's possible you haven't actually been called in. And God, what we find in the Bible, God will meet you where you are. He'll meet you anywhere you, where you are, but he never leaves you where you are. He always sends you somewhere else to go. Now, my favorite illustration of this, I bring this up every couple years uh, because it's just too good of an illustration of this. Um, uh, my, my daughters are, you know, you know, they're in their teens now, and... Um, when my first daughter was a baby, uh, the only way I could get her to fall asleep was to take her outside on, on a walk in a bassinet. And um, I think it was like wintertime, kind of like a very cold day like today. And she started getting fussy, so I knew I needed to kind of put her in the bassinet and get her dressed up and, 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 and take her for a walk. But I, I do what I call the trinity. I look for my wallet, phone, and keys. I kind of look around for my, you know, make sure I have those three things. And uh, one, the trinity was missing. The, the wallet was... Um, I left it upstairs. There's a study room in my building on the 20th floor where I, I would do a lot of reading. 
And um, I was like, shoot, I gotta go get, I gotta get my wallet. So she's in, she's in like, like all like those warm jumpers where the kids are kind of like this because they can't really move. Um, and so she's getting hotter and hotter because she's crying, which makes it worse. And we're waiting for the elevator. I keep pushing the button. Finally it comes. I get in up in the elevator and I start thinking, wait a second. If I go get my wallet, I'm gonna have to wait for the elevator to come all the way back. She's gonna be screaming even more. Brilliant idea. I'm going to put the, the uh, um, stroller in a way so that the sensor can't close the door. But then I said, you know, I don't want her fingers to get caught just in case there's a malfunction. So I, I angled it so that if it did close, she would just get pushed back into the <laughs> elevator. So I'm a good dad still. Don't worry. Um, I was like, it's going to be five seconds. I'm going to run in there. I'm going to get my wallet. I'm going to run right back out. It's going to be good. I run in there, get my wallet, five seconds, turn to go away. And I look out the window, and there's this hawk that's just sitting on the railing. I'm like five, ten feet away. It's beautiful. It's amazing. So I did what anybody else would have done. I broke out my phone and I started taking pictures. I started going, yeah. That's the, and then, of course, it was, it was, this was over ten years ago, so my phones weren't good, so I had to get a little bit closer. And um, it was amazing. The wingspan, the, the beak, everything was great. Thirty seconds, maybe. Maybe more. Um, I go, wait, my daughter, she's in the elevator. So I turn around, I run back, and the elevator doors are shut. Baby's gone. And what happened in that moment? I want to know what happened. What happened is this. How could I have forgotten my daughter? My job, my identity, was to be a dad, to take care. I had one job, take care of that daughter. And yet, when I saw that hawk, the experience of that hawk, the beauty and wonder and majesty of that hawk came into my mind, and everything else went out. God's love and care can't just be an idea to you, can't be just a concept. It actually has to become something so beautiful, so powerful, so amazing. The promises given to us have to become such a reality that it pushes out the other things that we thought were important in our life has become such a vivid, overpowering expression of love and care that it changes our goals and our needs and allows us to then be called. It would change the way we see things. It becomes the prism by which we view all of the rest of reality so that you see yourself and who you are and what you're meant to be here in this world. It changes because of the beauty and the wonder and the love and the awe of what God is to you. And that would change how you view your marriage and being called to your marriage. It would change how you view your job and how you feel called to your job and how you see your job. It would change how you see where you live in your city, the space. Because of the nature of how you see him love you, it changes how then you move out and, move and see the rest of the world. And so I want to ask you, has the person of Jesus... Has God captured your heart in such a way that it changes how you see everyone and everything else? If your relationship with God is just theoretical, if it's just conceptual, if it's just like I, I theoretically, intellectually believe in God, if you could, yeah, that means, guess what? You could probably memorize scripture. You can come here on a cold Sunday and say, I did it. I, I made it out to church. You can do those things. You can read theology books. But if his love for you doesn't move you to love other people, if the blessing you feel from him intellectually doesn't actually move into your heart, actually and practically, it's never going to make you a blessing out in the world. You're, not gonna, you're gonna be so conf 
consumed with seeing yourself. It's called navel-gazing. You're going to look at yourself so much, you're not going to ever even be able to look out to other people and care what they're going through and what they need. Because I've got to think about my needs. I've got to think about my issues. Only when you see, the sec- this is the secret, you can only go be a blessing because you've been blessed. And not just intellectually, but practically and actually. And so it, do you feel his love? It's possible if you don't actually experience it and taste it, then you might not have actually had it yet. And so how do we get that? Despite the challenges I just listed, the three challenges, how do we get that? Last point. We will give, we will get, sorry, we will get the motivation, we'll get the power, get the catalyst to send us out to the degree that we get something that actually is able to, to propel us. What will that be? Well, I'll tell you first what doesn't work. What doesn't work is this concept that people do with Abram all the time. They look at Abram, and they, they, they read him, and they say, okay, I'm going to be like Abram. They see Abram as an, as an example. Please don't do that. You know why? Abram as an example, if you read his whole life, he's not a great example. He messes up over and over and over again. So then why is this story here? Well, go back to the blessings. Think about this. What does Abram, who becomes Abraham, what does he have to do to get these blessings? Does he have to have faith? Is is that what it says? No. Well, does he actually have to go first? No. He's given these things before all of that, and this is really important. What this is saying then, because every time, no, no, it says, I, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make, it's all these I say that it's dependent on God, which means your actions, your faith is not what brings blessing into your life, which means also your inaction, your lack of faith in any given moment can't actually stop God's blessing to you either. That's profound. If the God who made a sun that's 92 million miles away, if you look at it too, for too long, it can burn your eyes out. If the power of the God who can make that is real, do you think you can stop the blessing from that God as well? There's no way. You can't. And so why trust him? Trust him because he's good. How do you know he's actually good? Go back to our text. Abram said, I can trust. But I think we have a power. We have an ability to trust more than even Abram did. And I think it's buried in this text. It's in the Hebrew grammar that doesn't come out in the English very well. And it's this. Go down to verse 7. And it says... God's making more promises. To your offspring, I'll give this land. That word offspring, in almost every other place in the Bible, it is in the plural because offspring means numeral, right? Uh, Multiple. But in this text, it's actually in the singular. It is a singular offspring, which makes you should wonder. Back then, I don't think they were able to understand that. But today, looking back, we can say, how is it possible that through Abram's offspring, one singular person can actually bless all the world. Who and how? And we find that answer if you go to the very first verse of Matthew. It says, Jesus Christ is the true descendant of Abraham. Which means Jesus is able to save and win the world because he is able to do what Abram did, but cosmically. Abram, what did Abram do, right? He went out not knowing where he went. Or how long it was going to take. But Jesus, being God, knew exactly how long it was going to take, exactly how much it was going to cost, and did it anyway for you. 
Jesus didn't just leave his country, didn't just leave his, his uh, friends and family. He left every single beautiful thing, all that he deserved and owe, was owed to him. He left the blessings to get, make you a blessing by being a blessing. Abram builds an altar in our, our text here as a, to sacrifice wherever he would go. Jesus ends up being that sacrifice that Abram was pointing to. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that we, his descendants, now we can make the minor ones. They're hard, they're real, but we can make those, those sacrifices to be a blessing. He took the cost and the penalty for our sin for all of time, for all the times that we haven't been in blessings. You know what? You say you, people have cursed you, you've cursed them, maybe not intellectually, again, maybe not even with your words, but with your actions and our thoughts and our motives, and yet he died so that we could get the blessing to be a new blessing. Let me try to leave you with just two quick applications. How do you know that you've done this? How do you know you've actually been called and sent somewhere and gone on mission? First is this, bless. Notice in verse 3, it says that people, the peoples on earth will be blessed through Abram's descendants. And as Paul said in Galatians, now that we're in line with that, we're not, that means, guess what, you're not primarily called to have a comfortable life. In fact, Jesus, who was the, you know, uh, sent the number one, the main sent person, the real descendant of Abram, and his life wasn't so great, was it? But he was called to a place, and he was able to be a blessing, and now we too can be that way too. So we need to ask ourselves, what are the images of God around us that we're called to? Your neighbors, your friends, your family, your job. Your marriage. What is the part of creation that's broken right now, right? If all things are good, Genesis 1, but all things are broken, every ideology, every political party, every person, every thought has some aspect of good and also fallenness and brokenness. And what are you doing to enter those spaces to fix and remake? From cleaning your house to performing art and everything in between, we get to ask the question, what will it take for us? What can we do today to heal and not harm. What, is it, what can we do today to fix and remake? And guess what? You might not see the results for 25 years. You might not actually uh, feel called for 75 years. But it doesn't mean you can't go. And it's also possible that God calls you to something and you, it doesn't go well. It's not sparkly. It's not amazing. Right? It doesn't look great to the world, but it's where God has you right now. Will we, will, can we sign up for that? You can to the degree that you feel blessed, that you feel the promises, you feel the love. And so this is the last application. You have to remember. You have to keep going over and over and over because we keep forgetting. My mom had a phrase that she's told me multiple times recently, and that's today, our world, this moment, is the shortest chapter of eternity. And if that's the shortest chapter of eternity right now, we have to kind of remember what's our space here? What's the mission? It's no longer to make a name and to prove ourselves and to get as much as we can. You get to say to the world, I'm on mission to be a blessing, to care for them, to care for those, and to do it because I already feel cared for. Guess what? You won't go. In fact, if you feel like I haven't gone, I, guess, I can probably guess why. It's because you haven't felt cared for. You haven't felt loved. But what we're told here is my God delights in me, and therefore I get to delight in everyone else. 
please don't leave here saying, this is what I'm worried about actually, please don't leave here going, whew, I'm so glad Mike just told me what Christianity is really about. I now intellectually get it. That's the last thing I want. <laughs> That's not delight. When you delight in ice cream, I got to delight in ice cream a couple days ago. I'm not going like this, mm, the, this milk solid has sugar and is uh, cold on my lips. No, when you're delighting, you're bypassing the, the, the intellectual concepts and you're going to the experience of the yumminess that's around us. And I think if that's true, then what we have to have is we have to see with God, we have a God who delights in us and therefore we can delight in him. You might not, you will not be more loving just because we should be or if I point my finger at you and you're supposed to be, that's not what we're talking about. For some of you, you're wondering still, you're probably still, the whole time you've been like, dad, you're, Mike's, you're still a bad dad. You, you left your daughter in the elevator. <laughs> what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Um, I ran down the steps. I got down to the, to the ground floor. There was the, the stroller, the bassinet. Baby was not in there. I go to the front desk. There's the doorman holding the baby like this with the most judgy face <laughs> looking at me like, he said, what happened? Do you know what happened? I, did, I, I froze, and I looked at him, I said, oh, I, I went, bent down to tie my shoe, and I just, you know, uh, the door closed. I completely lied. And I lied, I lied, I was, because I had so much shame, I was so worried that if I told him what he might think. You know why I lied? I'll tell you why I lied. Because I had the expulsive power of a hawk in me. <laughs> I didn't have the expulsive power of a God who loved me so deeply, so fully, so intimately that his blessings to me were not dependent on my actions. I didn't have the beauty of that in my soul because if I did, I wouldn't have the need to. I would've been able to be honest. I would've been able to be truthful and I didn't have that then. But will you get it now? Will you let this, you have to do the work. The work is not, you can't just say, I, I, I believe in God but I don't feel his presence. Yes, I know. What is it going to take to do that? You have to remember. So if today you don't feel called to anyone or anything, let me just ask you, please, don't have the all-encompassing hawk in your life. Find your affections on the love of God and the person of Jesus. When we find that we have more joy found in him because of the joy he finds in us, then we can actually move out and have joy in others. You and I are called out from how we normally define ourselves into this. That's, that's the mission. That's what it means to be called. That's what's before us. And that's what answers that question of what does it mean to live in this world and be who we are. Friends, we, are you, do you, be called to your neighborhood. Be called to your city. Be called to the people around you to be a blessing because we've been blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for come in this world. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. There's so many things in our lives that are operating like hawks that are, so, that are so powerful because they're so vivid. They're so real. They're so present. I pray that we would have an explosive power of a new affection of you. And we can only get that by remembering your promises. Abram would have to, for years and years and years, keep remembering what was repeated to him. I pray that we would do the same that we would see Jesus says, I love you. I'm, I'm coming through death itself to get you. That we would see how you moved heaven and earth 
to live and die for us and that we would rest in that. Move our hearts, Father. Give us a taste, a powerful taste of your love. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.